So I started a series last week uh, called Unconditional Love, The Missing Ingredient. Had a prayer meeting October 3rd. And I mean, God really hit me personally between the eyes with the love of God. How many know we're in a challenging time? Obviously so. The, um, the anger, the venom, the uh, upsetness is everywhere. It's in the atmosphere. People are treating them, treating each other at an all-time low in the U.S. of A. And that's, I think that's really worldwide. So uh, it is really time for us to let our light shine. And we have the antidote for the anger of the day. So uh, we're called to love people who don't do life the way we do. And uh, we're called to love people who de- disagree with us and even who say mean and nasty things. How many hear me? I talked about that uh, last week. Uh, venom, anger, animosity, revenge, vitriol, which just means bitterness expressed, hatred, malice, sarcasm, blasphemous words, vindictiveness, division. It's everywhere. How many agree? And you know, we all feel that. And it's, I mentioned last week, it's in the news media, all internet, social outlets. It's everywhere. And uh, wow, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Parler, Snapchat, TikTok. And if I missed your favorite one, include it in there. Because, I mean, everywhere you go, it's all the same. The flesh is really having a fling these days. Have you noticed? I was actually taking a walk yesterday praying for the meeting study, and God reminded me of Galatians chapter 5. And, you know, how many know the struggle that we all face as believers is we have the potential to be God-like, Christ-like. We can also be stinkers. And we can also yield to the flesh. And I was reminded of Galatians chapter 5. I just really liked it. I looked at several translations, but the one that won out for me was Passion Translation. Listen to this one. Listen to Galatians 5. This is the challenge we face. And this is, this is what we're facing every single day. It says here, beginning with verse 16, as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Now, his translation calls the flesh self-life. I think that's pretty accurate, don't you? Verse 17, for your self-life, your flesh craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? There's part of you that craves what God doesn't like. That's what he said. Hmm? And hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So there's a conflict. You know, I've, I've taught on this in the past. And, you know, uh, if you've ever had a few cats, when I was a little boy, we had 21 cats. And the cats, we'd, yeah, I know in my, they were in the yard, not in the house, okay? Too many pots to clean if you do that. But anyway, uh, you know, and, and they would be antagonistic, and you'd see them, they'd lay their ears back, and they'd be gnarling and, you know, getting ready to fight. That's kind of like the flesh versus the spirit, right? So all of us have that antagonism on the inside. So he says, uh, the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then uh, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life, that's your flesh, life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. But when you're brought into a full freedom of the Holy, uh, of the spirit of grace, you'll no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Now, what you want to do is check any of these that, that want to manifest in your life and say, God, help me, right? Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments. How plain can this be, right? 
uh, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions. If you ever met somebody that's in love with what they think and don't care what you think. Hmm. Being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? So that's a pretty plain list, and I really uh, appreciated uh, Passion Translation because it made it so real. That's the, that's the day we're living in, and uh, God has given us, the good news is, uh, a way to live above the passions and yearnings of our, of our flesh or, or the the, um, the fallen nature that's, that, that we're encased in. Romans chapter five, verse five. I mentioned this again last week. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that God's given you a new way to love? Now, when I talk about love today, and I mentioned this last week, you know, you have, to, you have to specify what the Bible means when it says love each other. And the love the Bible's talking about, there's not a self-centered love. All of us have a self-centered love, saint and sinner alike. But there's a love that only believers have, and it's an unconditional. Everybody say unconditional. Self-sacrificial. Say self-sacrificial. See, the love that God wants us to walk in is unconditional. That means the, a person doesn't have to meet any criterion for you to love them. You love them, period. Whether they're nice or unnice, whether they smell good or smell bad, etc. You just love them, bottom line. And so that's been placed inside of us. And and First John three fourteen, you can be assured that you're translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because you love the family of believers. The scripture says there again, passion translation, a loveless life remain spiritually dead. So the thing again that sets us apart is unconditional self-sacrificial love. The question I have when I read that is how am I doing with that? So how are you doing with being unconditional in your love to other people? How about self-sacrificial? Uh, so we'll go into that in fair detail today. Uh, I started last week. I got through the first two, five things that we need to know about this new kind of love. Jesus gave us two commandments. Number one, that uh, actually absorb the 10 commandments. If you can do these two, you got the 10 covered. And again, the Holy Spirit's placed the commandments of God inside of us and he helps us do it. If we'll do two things, love the Lord God with everything inside of us and then love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Somebody say, well, I don't love myself. Well, give me a hammer and let me hit your finger. You'll show, it'll show you how much you love yourself. You'll be putting that thing up. That's just what we do. I know that sounded weird on the audio, but I put my finger in my mouth, nonetheless. And then Romans chapter 13, we mentioned last, last week, he, he magnified the second part of that. Jesus said, love God with everything within you. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, Romans 13, Paul said, owe, to, owe nothing to anyone except the obligation. How many know we have an obligation? To love. How you doing with the obligation? That was his uh, challenge to the church in Romans 13. Then number two, Jesus gave believers a new commandment, which if you obey it, fulfills again all of the others. A new commandment I give you, John 13. He was preparing his disciples for his departure uh, from earth by way of the cross and the ascension. And he says, a new commandment I give you guys, that you love one another as I have loved you. He qualified it. He loved them when they didn't deserve love, when they deserved a spanking. Instead, he loved them anyway, right? 
He said, by this all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we covered that in great detail last week. Encourage you, if you weren't here, get on the website. You can listen to the audio, the video, and it's all available on, our, on all of our uh, the things we have online, whether it's our website or the podcast place and stuff like that. Number three is what I wanted to get to today. Number three, five things to know about love. Love cures strife. And keeps the dark kingdom out of your life. How many know there are two kingdoms that are in opposition to each other today? Much like those cats I mentioned. And it's the satanic kingdom and it's God's kingdom. What we all need to keep aware of is darkness works through strife and discord. Can you see how Satan's seeking to tear our country apart? By pitting one against another, one ideology against another, and hence one person against another. And, and that's come to the point that family members hardly speak sometimes to each other because of the disagreements they have about today. Is that true? So uh, the Bible gives some antidotes to this kind of strife. James chapter 3 is all, James is a real practical book. Actually, James really is, the, the name should be Jacob. That's, it, that's, his, that's his Bible name, Jacob. Uh, half-brother of Jesus, very practical person. James 3, this is New King James, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking or the King James Version says strife in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. He says there's a wisdom based on strife. What he's saying there, there's a wisdom based on getting your own way, having the last word, making the other person bad so you can look good, right? He says it's earthly. He says it's sensual, that's fleshly. Then he says it's demonic. Now, that's a strong word. For where envy and self-seeking, or King James says strife exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. How many want to be in the room with every evil thing? How many want to be in the room with confusion? How many walk, want to walk into a house where there's confusion? You know, words. How many know words are powerful? Words create an atmosphere. Uh, have you had the experience I've had, knocked on somebody's door just impromptu? Well, I think I'll just go see so-and-so. Knock on the door, walk in the house, and man, you can cut it with a knife. Everybody's smiling, saying hi, but there sure is not a hi from the heart because there's some anger. There's some animosity. Words create it. Is that true? So I just wonder, you know, if, if, if you could be a fly on the wall, the invisible person, wonder what your home is like. Is it a place where it's free? A, free a, a place where you can be yourself? You can voice your thoughts without anger, without animosity? What's it like? Or is it a place that's filled with strife? Amplified New Testament says this uh, of these verses, verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy or envy, and contention, which is rivalry, selfish ambition in your hearts. Don't pride yourself on it, and thus be in defiance of, of and false to truth. This superficial wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, or animal, even devilish or demoniacal. It's of the devil, he says, for whoever there's jealousy, envy, contention, rivalry, selfish ambition, there will also be confusion, unrest, disharmony, rebellion, then Amplify says, in all sorts of evil and vile practices, Passion Translation to verse 16 says, where there's jealousy and selfishness, strife, uh, where they're uncovered, you'll find many troubles and every kind of meanness. It's another way to put it, isn't it? So if you want some meanness manifesting in your office, in your, in your job, in your relationship with the people that you're 
that you're associated with, just put a little strife in there. How many know strife is necessary for Satan to do what he wants to do in any life? So Susan likes these candles. She has, y'all burn candles in your house? What's that other thing, Scentsy? Is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the way you put those things out is uh, a fire's got to have oxygen to burn, right? So what do you do? Stick the top on it and it kind of goes out. Is that true? Yeah. So, so, so think, think of what happens when, when, when I get into strife, I'm lighting a fire. And, and that fire's got to have oxygen. And strife is the oxygen that keeps that, the fire of the kingdom of darkness burning. And, and if you want to put it out, just put the top on it. You got to deal with the strife. Just like putting the top on, the, on a candle, you deprive the fire of oxygen. And oxygen uh, is synonymous with strife and self-centeredness. How many hear me? And Satan wants you to walk in strife. Just figure it out. Satan wants you to walk in strife as a believer because he wants to manifest his kingdom wherever you're at to aggravate you and hinder your relationship with other people. So here's the way I, I you know, all of us have to deal with strife. And if, if you say you don't, well, I'm gonna come and pray for you because uh, you're not being honest. So how do you t- curb the tendency to strife in your own life? So for me, you know, when I'm upset, you know, I, I wait until I calm down to have a conversation. I was, uh, this is 1984, and this was my first, uh, my first staff position. It was a very large church. I've talked about it much times in Tulsa. And I was really green. I mean, I was, this is brand new ministry. This is new for me. You know, I had been ministering, but actually at a position where I was paid, this was new for me. And I was, uh, I think at the time I was, 25, I turned 26, I think. At, at any rate, um, uh, and so I was studying all I could, and Lord helped me to minister. And I got a book uh, by this counseling guy, and he really helped me. And he mentioned Philippians chapter 2, and I, uh, verses 1 and 2 from the King James. Here's New King James. He said this, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And he said from that, I'll never forget. And I was, he, had a, uh, he had cassette tapes with his book and all that. And I was, you know, learning a lot of stuff. And, and here's what he said. I never forgot the rest of my life. He said, never speak to someone until you have love, joy, and peace. Now, for my little untrained ears, that was a lot to hear. Don't speak until you have love, joy, and peace. Now, what that made me do is think back in my life, all the arguments I had with people. And I, you know, it, you know if you have a, how many have a strong will? Don't raise your hand. I do. And I, I'm opinionated. Are you opinionated? I've got some strong opinions about things. And I want to do something with life. So if you're like that, if you're like me, there's lots of opportunity for strife. You're going to have a lot of people to disagree with you. But how you handle it, it makes, it makes all the difference, right? So, so after I read that, first thing I think when I'm talking to somebody, I love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. Do I have love, joy, peace? Everybody say love, joy, peace. You know, so, uh, so again, during this time, you know, I was young and, and it was my first staff position in the church. And, and I found out real quickly, even if you're on a church staff, we have 54 people on that church staff. I found out over half of them I didn't like. God didn't say you had to like everybody. He just said, love everybody. Like means I didn't care for the way they did life or et cetera, et cetera. And they probably didn't care for the way I did life either. Put it on the, put the shoe on the other foot. But, uh, you know, uh, I would get ruffled and I didn't realize how quickly. Here's what I found out. When I got to working in the context of that many people on a church staff, I found out how much I disagreed, 
and then how uh, volatile I was. I didn't realize it. Boy, you could set me off. Somebody say something like, boy, I'm, I'm like a bull ready to go and jump. I said, God, what am I going to do? And you know what I had to do? Literally, I'd go to the bathroom. I'll be back. I'd, I'd disengage conversation. And finally, I got to the point. I told my secretary, I said, uh, I'm going in my office and I'm not opening that door till I'm ready. So don't let anybody in. And no, don't let anybody knock on the door. And I would, I would stay there until I had love, joy, and peace until I prayed through. How many hear me? And uh, I still, to some degree, follow that. And I've calmed down a little bit today. Maybe not much. But I've learned that when you disagree with somebody, calm down first, right? right? And here's another thing I followed over the years with the advent of the internet, you know, and even before then, if I'm writing a letter, writing a card to somebody, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a crucial conversation, and, and you just need to talk about some things, I never, uh, whether it's email, whether it's texting, I never send an email until I'm at peace, if you're upset about something, well, I'll just tell them. You start typing away. Wait 24 to 48 hours. Sometimes it might take 72. It might take up to three days to get yourself calmed down. And now here's a practice I have. When I'm upset about something, I won't even send the email. I'll send it to some of my staff team members. Say, what you think about that? What you think about that? What do I need to change? You know, when you're typing is different than when you're in person. You know, and now, you know, we have a tendency to text everybody. Email, is that true? Instead of having a real conversation with people. With a conversation, think about what you're doing. You can see a person's facial expression. You can see their eye. Well, you used to could see their nose, their mouth. Now you can't. But used to be before the mask advent, you know, uh, you know, you could just see body language and see if a person's leaning towards you. You can tell a lot about a person just by body language and, and inflection in the voice. How many know you put a lot in the inflection of your words? But see, with texting and email, you don't do that at all. And if you're going to have emotion and kindness and caring and friendliness and consideration, you've got to on purpose put that in the words. Here's what I've noticed. A lot of people just send terse texts and you've got to fill in the blanks. Well, what if you text a person they don't know how to fill in the blanks or don't know that they should? Is that true? That's the reason in your words, calm down, calm it down. If I'm upset with somebody, I don't text them for a while. Sometimes I never would because I can't get over being upset. Just being real. Is that true? I'll tell them what I think. You just messed up. You just let the dark kingdom in. And once you let the dark kingdom in, how many know it's hard to back up? Is that true? So, so wait, so again, you know, what do you think about this? I'll go to a staff team member or somebody sometimes say, Susan, what do you think about this? And they, no, I don't say that. Why not? I'll feel that. Well, don't say that. I have to go repent. I have to, right? So, you know, I'm telling you, smart if you wait. Love, joy, and peace. How many know we all have the tendency uh, and have to deal with carnality? All of us can be carnal at times. Yes or no? If you can't say yes, you're not being real with yourself. 1 Corinthians 3, listen to this. This is King James. Our brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. Now, the apostle Paul already told the Corinthians that he loved them. So once he got over loving them, he said, let's get real. And he said, I couldn't speak to you as a spiritual. You're just still carnal. You're babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For until now, you're not able to receive it. Even now, you're still not able, for you're still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like men? 
Now, Passion Translation hit me on this one. It was, it was really good. He says, brothers and sisters, when I, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who were spiritually mature people, for you're still dominated by the mindset of the flesh and because you're immature infants in Christ. I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with solid food of more advanced teachings because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready to be fed solid food for you're living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Well, he's not necessarily trying to win friends with what he's saying, but he's being real. How many know a person that loves you will be honest with you? And you want the kind of friends that, that, uh, that will look at you sometimes and say, can we talk? And I've got friends like that in my life who'll pull me aside, Pastor, can we talk? Well, yeah, what's up? And then you just need to shut up and just let them say what they got to say and then don't say a word afterwards. Say, really? Really? Is that true? Yeah, I think so. That's what Paul was doing to the Corinthian believers. He said, you're living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? Ooh. If so, this proves that you're living lives centered on yourselves, dominated by the mindset of the flesh and behaving like unbelievers. Now, you know, he could have written that today. Is that true? Man, it's, it just so fits. Again, the demonic realm wants to come in to steal, kill, and destroy in our marriages, in our relationships, in our jobs, in the, in the, in the close connections we have with people. Let me also say this. Most of us uh, have a nice side. And let's get, right? So, so, you know, when you come to church like this, when you know, you maybe see people once a week, twice a week, whatever, you know, maybe, maybe engage you in conversation during the week or whatever, but, but generally you're showing your best behavior. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. And you're smiling. Everything's fine. And you're, you know, doing elbows or you're fisting or some people are shaking hands now, whatever. Uh, but most all of us have a, have a nice side, but how many know you can also be a stinker? So the real test of character comes when, when the relationship comes and you disagree, in the relationship disagreement comes. That's, that really shows who, what shows who I am is not when people are nice to me. And who you are doesn't really come out when people are nice to you. What your character is really like is what you're like when people don't like you and say things that hurt you and offend you and wound you. Yes or no? That's when the real us comes out. You know, Susan and I got six grandkids, two on the way. I love to brag on it. We got four children. So we're accustomed to being around small children. You're around small children a lot. I mean, you could eat them alive. They're sweet as pudding. I think they're so sweet. I look at my, some of my grandkids. They're so sweet. Look. But, you know, they get, you know, a year and a half, two years old. And they want this toy. They want to look at that movie. They want to do it. No, not right. Yeah! You find out what they're really like, right? Babies are sweet until they don't get their way. Spiritual babies are sweet until they don't get their way. Yes or no? So see, obviously, what's the next question? So what am I like when people do things that I don't like? How do I respond, right? See, that, that determines spirituality, not that you're real sweet on Sundays when you're meeting your, your, your friends in the foyer. No, it, it's, it's what you're like when the rubber meets the road and there's some disagreements, right? Honeymoon is always over at some point. 
That's why, listen, when I, when I counsel people that want to get married, often one of the first things I ask them, was the last time you had a disagreement or a, call it a fight? I've had people say, well, we've never fought. And I said, you lying. <laughs> no, they say, we really haven't fought. I said, I know you're lying. You're saying things, but you're not saying what you really think and feel. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Susan and I ever disagree? <laughs> Jesus, help me. Why do we disagree? Because she doesn't think the way I do. Is that a problem? Not unless I make it a problem. Is that true? And you know, I appreciate the fact that Susan doesn't think like me. Most every time I've made a decision and Susan said, now you may want to consider that and reconsider that because here's what I think. And it made me mad. I said, I don't like that. I don't agree with you. And I made the decision opposite what she said. I've always messed up. So husbands... Always listen to your wives and do what they say. You'll be in safe quarters if you do that. Many of us are sweet until, again, until we don't get our way. You know, this happened to me. I was 30 years of age in 1988. I know that dates me. It's half, half my age now. But, so I started a church in that small town I'll tell you about. And uh, i never forget, so we rented, I rented a building. I actually rented a house when we first moved there. Susan and I had uh, two kids. Susan was pregnant with Jessica when we moved to start a church. It was a crazy time in life. I'm 30 years old. And, uh, and so the lady that we rented the house from, now this lady was a Southern belle. You know what a Southern belle is? This lady was prim and proper. She was dressed to a T. I mean, her hair was to perfection. Her makeup was to perfection. And she was, you know, probably in her late 60s, early 70s. But this was a beautiful lady. I thought, man, that's a Southern belle right there. And she was graceful. You know, she knew how to talk and, you know, how to, how to conduct herself around people that she didn't know. She was a really, really astute business person. She was really, really smart with that. And so I met her. We rented a house, yada, yada. And I thought, man, that's one of the, I just, I don't even think I mentioned this to Susan. I, I said, this is one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met. And I knew she wasn't a Christian. And then I went my way after I met her. I thought, you know, she's a lot nicer than a lot of Christians I know. Have you ever met somebody that doesn't know the Lord that's nicer than a lot of believers that you know? That was her. I thought, man, wow. And so, you know, we interacted on occasion. You know, I thought, man, that's a really nice lady. And then I don't know, it was sometime months later, uh, I forgot what was going on. I don't even remember the gist of the conversation. I just remember I got in her presence and I, I, and I basically said, ma'am, I, I just have to disagree with that. When I said, I disagree, her true colors come out. And it was not the Southern Belle type, let me just say. Whoa, I got some words and I got some facial expressions and I would have gotten a spit bath if I was close to her. Thankfully, it hit the floor before it got to me. But you know, you know, who you are comes alive when you're challenged, right? So if you're dating somebody, you know, here's what I say. If you're dating somebody, go through some seasons, go through the seasons of life. Susan and I dated for 13 months. I'm getting off a little bit here. We dated 13 months, but we went through the seat because you want to see how they're going to respond in all the varying situations of life. That person that sweet is pudding, they might turn to lemon when something doesn't go their way. You won't figure it out, right? And so, so a lot of people, uh, you know, they wish they'd have listened to that later on. How many hear me? Well, it's quiet when we start talking about that. I just felt it quieting down here. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, selfish ambition. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others 
better than yourselves. Second Timothy chapter two, here's passion translation. I'm skipping down a little bit. Verse 23, stay away from all the foolish arguments of the immature for these disputes only generate more conflict for a true servant of the Lord Jesus will not be argumentative, Sheesh. but gentle towards all and skilled in helping others see the truth, having great patience toward the immature. Then with meekness, you'll be able to uh, carefully enlighten those who argue with you so you can see God's gracious gift of repentance and be brought to the truth. This will cause them to rediscover themselves and escape from the snare of Satan who caught them in his trap so they will carry out his purpose. So again, you know, if you pride yourself in winning the conversation, man, you need to humble yourself and repent. How many hear me? You know, if you're a kind of person with a strong, I have a really forward personality if you hadn't figured it out yet. If you're around me, you know that. But you know, you know what I found out? I don't need to have the last word. And God's had to deal with me about that. I, I don't have to be right. I just need to learn to listen. How many hear me? If you just learn to listen, so what if you're not right? So what if you don't get the last word? If you have to, I think that's this thing called P-R-I-D-E. If all you do is talking about you and what you think, you're full of pride. See, that's me. See, I've had to deal with that. Pride, I think it's a mile deep in the Horton clan, and I've had to deal with me about that. But so again, again, stay away from foolish arguments. He says, passion translation. The demonic realm is invited to do life when I choose strife. Huh? So again, summarizing, if, you're, if you get upset, delay your response before you respond so to speak, pray through and you'll be a lot better off. Number four here, Jesus introduced the concept of loving your enemies to the disciples. Now, I I, want to read this from Luke chapter six and I'm choosing again the Passion Translation. As I read this, I'm trying to look at the nuances of what a person says and the translation of what it says because, and I want it to be practical as possible. And I I couldn't find another translation. I looked at New Living Translation, New King James and others. Uh, even message paraphrase, this one went out. Listen, if you will listen, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to talk to, him, to them about, about uh, godly values for living and carrying on um, life with other people. And he says, but if you will listen, I say to you, love your enemies and do something wonderful for them in return for their hatred. Now, when he said that, he may have paused and they looked at him like, like a dog that's being whistled at turns his head. You ever seen a dog turn his head at you? They said, what are you talking about? Hmm. When someone curses you, bless that person in return. Now, is that opposite of what you want to do? You better believe it. When you're mistreated and harassed by others, accept it as your mission to pray for them. Man, that's good. Isn't that good? Do you do that? Don't answer. If someone takes away your coat, give him as a gift your shirt as well. Mm. You got my shoes, you want my socks? You got my coat, you want my britches, you can't have them. I'll give you something else, you know. When someone comes begging, uh, comes to beg from you, give to that person what you have. Now, this is tough. When things are wrongly taken from you, do not demand that they be given back. I know it gets quiet. However you wish to be treated by others is how you should treat everyone else. Do to others what you would have them do to you, other translations bear. I learned that as a little kid. 
in Sunday school. Do I do that? Why, we need that today on every building we enter. (laughs) Is that true? We need to be reminded. Are you really showing true love by only loving those who love you back? Hmm. Even those who don't know God will do that. I talked about that last week. You can find some really friendly people at a bar. They're drinking, carrying on, but they like each other because they like each other back. Are you really showing compassion when you do good deeds only to those who do good deeds to you? Even those who don't know God will do that. If you lend money only to those who, that you know will repay you, what credit is that to your character? Even those who don't know God do that, but love your enemies. Wow. When he says love your enemies, that means have unconditional self-sacrificial love and do something nice when they don't do nice to you. Say something nice when they don't say nice to you. Pray for them when they try to take advantage of you. That's what he's saying. Love your enemies, continue to treat them well. When you live Monday, don't despair. If you're never paid back for it's not, watch this, for it's not lost. You will receive a rich reward and you will be known as true children of the Most High God, having his same nature. For your father is famous for his kindness to heal even the thankless and cruel. Show mercy and compassion for others, just as your heavenly father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. Isn't that good? So somebody takes advantage of you. Are you supposed to go tell everybody? Don't do have anything to do with them. No, shut up. Just be quiet. So they took advantage of me. Just be quiet. I mean, what they did will show up eventually anyway. Yes or no? And then what he said right there, you're known in heaven when you don't retaliate and get even with. But when you choose to love and, and the person doesn't deserve it, there's rewards being gained. Jesus will come up to you one day when you get up on the other side and say, that was really great, thank you. And he may have something to put in your hand called gold, jewels, precious stones, silver. Wouldn't that be cool? The rewards that we gain. Romans 12, listen to this, beloved. This is verse 19. Don't be obsessed, Passion Translation, with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, if you don't take justice in your own hands, I will release justice for you, says the Lord. Is that good? And if your enemy's hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness for your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. How does evil defeat? Isn't that good? I don't know about you. See, it gets quiet when you talk about this because it's so unlike the flesh. I was watching, anyway, I was watching my grandkids the other day and one had, one had a toy and somebody else got, that's mine. And that's what we do. Somebody pushes us, we push them back. Is that true? Somebody slurs us with their words, we come back with just one up, one just a little bit stronger. No, he said, don't retaliate. When you don't retaliate, hear what he said? I will release justice for you. Is that good? Somebody's done something completely unfair, taken advantage of you, found a loophole in the law and just dug it and and used it against you. See, God watches everything. And the ground is level at his feet. And payday one day comes. Don't try to do it yourself. I'm not saying don't, don't do sometimes. Sometimes God will lead you. 
to do something. Most of the time when it's particularly, if it's hurting other people, he may lead you to do something. But if it's just a dig towards you, God may say, suck it up, buttercup. Love them. Payday's coming one day, but don't let it be from your hands. Let it be from mine. Because I'm fair, equitable, just, and right. How many hear me? So again, if we try to retaliate, he said, bottom line, evil defeats us when you act like that. So, so with, with this loving your enemy, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. You know, do, do nice things in return. Pray for them that, that use you to their advantage. How, how about make this personal? What about your marriage? What if your spouse is not treating you the way you think you ought to be treated? What you supposed to do? You're just old sorry thing. No, you need to hush. You need to shut up. You're supposed to be saying, you don't ever love me. You don't cook for me. You, I have to ask you to do them, 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 Hush, just hush. Give them something. Do something for them. Be sweet to them when they're not sweet to you. Well, that's wrong. No, it's not. That's what Jesus said, do. If you do that, you'll bring the blessing on your life. It's quiet. Wonder how many marriages are not singing because they're self-centered. So he never treats me right. He acts like I'm not even in the room. Well, we'll pour him a cup of coffee. Bake him a pie. Huh? Go buy him his favorite shirt. Get his keys and say, you know, you're almost out of gas. Let me go gas up your truck for you. I mean, you're not doing that? <laughs> or husband, you don't think your wife's doing what she ought to do. Love her. Well, she don't deserve it. Well, you didn't deserve to be loved by God. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus loved her while you were a sinner. Why check, can't you love your spouse when she's not doing everything you want to do? Are you a baby sucking your thumb? Or are you grown up, right? I'll just leave all that right there and let's think about it the rest of the day. The notes are here. I want to end with this and I'm closing. This love, see, it's an alien to this world. I read this, y'all, I read this back in the early 80s. I've got a set of uh, books by Kenneth S. Wiest. Uh, word studies in the Greek New Testament. And I was reading 1 John 3. Y'all, I was in my early 20s. This thing knocked me in between the eyes and it still messes with me. He said, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Just that first verse. And when I looked at what he said about the Greek word for what manner of, what manner of love it literally could be translated from what country, tribe, or race, something foreign. Other translations translate this, listen, from what far realm is this love the Father has bestowed upon us? What unearthly love the Father has bestowed upon us? How otherworldly is this love? And then his commentary, and I've had it in my notes a long time, y'all. The foreign kind of love produced by the Holy Spirit in us constitutes us a foreign kind of person to the people of this world. Since, since they don't understand foreigners, 
people of a different race from themselves. They simply don't understand Christians. Children of God could just as well come to earth from a strange planet. So far as the people of the world are concerned, they're strangers to them. Isn't that good? Now, do people think that way about you? You strange. Everybody, anybody ever come up to you and say, you act strange? You know, they might really have done that, but I'm talking about if you don't retaliate, if you don't get even, if you don't try to get your way, don't try to have the last word. I, I don't know about you. Every time I read this kind of stuff, it just messes with me. Doesn't it, doesn't it bother you? It's like, I, I got changing to do. See, all I want to encourage, I put these notes on the website. Go back and get the notes. The only way you'll ever do this is you got to read it over and over and over again. There's no other way. Our flesh so wants to have its way, doesn't it? And you know what? Now that we got it, our grandkids come to our house a lot now, and every time they come, there's always a, skir- always a skirmish. I mean, they're sweet as pudding, but if somebody does them wrong, oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. And I think, you know, that's the way we act. We're sweet until somebody's not sweet back to us. God has called us to love And love really only manifests when somebody doesn't treat it right. Yes or no? Wow. So so, so summarizing, unconditional, self-sacrificial love keeps the dark kingdom out of your life and relationships because you refuse to get in strife. The way you keep the dark kingdom at bay in your life is to love people who treat you like their enemy. Love them unconditionally when they don't deserve it. Do nice things when they don't do nice things to you. Pray for them when they don't deserve being prayed for and find acts of kindness to display towards them. Wow. That's the Jesus way. Is it your way? Is that your way? Think, ask yourself. So Father, this has been kind of heavy, I know. And uh, oh man, you're challenging me every time I preach this. And I ask you for every one of us in the room, every one of us watching online, we come so far short of the goal you have, which is unconditional self-sacrificial love to the people who are our antagonists, who don't like us, who disagree with us, who don't think the way we think, who don't live the way we live, who do things that oppose us and frustrate us, sometimes on purpose. Lord, let it be in every person in the room here this week Give us opportunities to show your love. That means when something's not going right, we love them anyway. When they don't treat us properly, help us to love them. Work it out, sir. All of us need your grace and all of us need your help. Forgive us for where we fail and help us to go this direction of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and doing to others what we want them to do to us. We just commit ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name.